The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everybody. It is October 25th. It is a chilly and sunny 48 degrees in Gotham today. Finally, the weather, the fall weather has come back. You know, we chuckle with the word Gotham, and I was going to get into that today. So do we know where Gotham? The word Gotham comes from the Dark Knight. <laughs> the Dark Knight. Well, yeah, it's very contemporary. Yeah, Many moons later. <laughs> well, actually, the author and New York City native um, Washington Irving started using the term in 1807 in a satirical periodical he was writing. It is believed that he was inspired by a folktale called The Wise Men of Gotham. In it, residents of England's Gotham Village catch wind that King John will be traveling through their town. And how many of these kings do we have in our town these days? Matthew, are you cold? I'm freezing. I think I'm getting sick. (laughs) Stay away from me, please. Yeah, really. It's also National Greasy Foods Day. So grab that slice of pizza or those french fries and do it without any guilt today. I can't even believe that's a day. It's a day. God bless America for that. Oh, how I wish we had an In-N-Out burger in New York. (laughs) You know, I didn't even know it was that day Uh, until I saw it this morning in my newsfeed. That's Which I don't even eat meat, so I don't know why I'm talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> National Greasy Foods Day. So again, do it with do it with pleasure. Okay. This is Good Morning New York. I'm Vince Rocco. I'd like to welcome our listeners. Uh, from the United States and around the world. In the news today, two years ago, New York City's luxury residential market seemed limitless, but these days, sellers are adjusting to a very different reality. Data provided to the real deal by StreetEasy for the period between October 10th and October 16th show sellers are continuing to discount properties in an effort to shift inventory. Uh, Town Residential announced the expansion of their firm into the prime neighborhoods of Brooklyn Heights and Williamsburg this week. Each new location will initially accommodate a dedicated sales and leasing manager and up to 20 local experts handpicked from both within the firm and the industry to work in that those offices. These new locations fit perfectly within Town's footprint and long-term business strategies, said Andrew Heiberger, founder and CEO of Town Residential. The spaces that we have uh, thoughtfully selected are innovative, collaborative and representative of the ethos of their company, whatever. It's a story about a lovely lady who was once a childhood actor star who grew up to be a savvy investor of real estate. That's the way Eve Plum, do we remember Eve Plum, Mm. a.k.a. Jan Brady? You and I definitely do. Uh, Of the Brady Bunch, one of the 1970s biggest TV sitcoms come to be the buyer of a penthouse unit at the Beekman East building in Turtle Bay. The New York Post reported that she, who was now 58 years old, wow, 58 years old, and her husband picked up the two-bedroom unit at 33 East 49th Street for $1,557,000. The condo has two bedrooms and three setback terraces. According to reports, it's an investment for Plum, 
who also owns another apartment on the Upper West Side. Plum is a is fresh off a monster sale of a California beachfront property. Get this: in 1969, when she first began in the business, she was a kid. She paid fifty-five thousand dollars for this house and just recently sold it for three point nine million. So no wonder the penthouse apartment near the United Nations building looked like a plum deal. No pun intended. <laughs> The housing market in New York is not what it was a year ago. Gone are the days when you could list your apartment for 20% more than the last comparable sale and watch the offers roll in over the next couple of days. This has been the story of 2016, said Jonathan Miller, president of the real estate appraisal firm Miller Samuel. He says the market has largely reset. Interesting word. While 2015 was a tale of sparse inventory, Sparking craze bidding wars, 2016 has taken it down a notch. More apartments are on the market, and they take longer to sell. The market has softened, particularly at the top. Okay, so I'm sitting here today with Louise Phillips Forbes from Halstead Property, Niall Lundgren from Compass, and Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. All right, well, what do you think about Jonathan Miller's term, Reset. Well, I think it's resetting and it has been, you know, if you take if you take a look at the growth that we experienced since the Great Recession, where the bottom of the market was really in 2010 and the climb that we've experienced from 2011 with the unfolding of all of those developments that were put off, postponed and re-brought to the market, um, we've had massive growth. Take a, take a look at the Baccarat Hotel. They had a transaction on the 37th floor that sold for 5600 bucks a foot. Well, mm, if you look in their God. offering plan, the original offering plan had a blend of around 3000 3400 maybe. And the penthouse they lobbed on the market at $60 million, which is at $8,400 a foot. Well, the market has reset and a buyer came to the table at $42 million went to contract and closed. Our office sold it five business days later, which is pretty uncommon. But that's at 50, I think that was around $5,900 a foot. Even that's incredible. And that's incredible. So it's not the market dropped 30%. It's that the buyers are setting our market and they're resetting it. And it's difficult for our sellers to admit this. Yeah, absolutely. But so let's take it to the developer's perspective. And I think we chatted a little bit about this last week or the week before. So are they becoming more in line with the need to do these kinds of resetting of prices or dropping of prices? Absolutely. Or are they kind of sticking to their guns and saying, hey, no, wait a minute. You know, this is how it was priced and this is what we have to sell it for. The best advice I can tell buyers who are actively looking in the market, take a development project that has enough scale to it and has – five to 15 apartments left on the end of their sales and you're trying to look at another development project around the corner, you can buy instead of paying $2,400 or $2,600 a foot for that new development that's going to take nine months to be built or 18 months to be built, you can capture something for $2,100 because they need to move on. You know, it's interesting you say that, Louise, and that's actually actually correct. But, you know, in the years that I spent in new development, six of them actually when I was working at Halstead, you know, we would always get to the point where you had had five to say 10 units left in a building of, you know, 100 units, whatever the number was. And everybody out there, including investors from foreign lands, would come in, you know, whether directly or with their agents and expect to get a bulk 
sell deal. So I want to buy five apartments. Can you chop 20% off the price? I want to buy all remaining inventory. Can you drop, you know, the price? And, you know, I'm the middleman as the sales director to the developer. So I would take every one of these to the developers and each and every one of these uh, conversations ended with no. Every time, and I was on site six years, but, you know, again, through... But when was that? Well, through uh, very booming years, 2007 through 2011, whatever. You're saying now that it would... I think Now it's different, and they're they're willing to do Especially if you have a big developer, the big players, HFZ, who has 14 projects, 3 million square feet, Excel, who has blocks. I wanted to ask you about Excel. Is Gary Barnett doing that, you think? I mean, I haven't heard too much... It's going to be case by case. I just think you have to be, you know, committed to buy. I mean, any buyer today, you have to want to buy because it's just a commitment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being being, knowing your market, understanding it, educating your buyers to the point that they can make strategic alliances to make the right deal for them. There are always going to be trade-offs. I don't Mm -hmm. care if you're spending $20 million. They're trade-offs. I agree. What about on the rental side in, in new development rental buildings? I mean, are we seeing the same kind of, you know, concessions where developers are kind of saying, all right, well, you know, we're not going to slash the price uh, or, or the monthly rental amount, but we'll give you some concessions like two months free, one month free, you know. I mean, they're finessing 13-month leases. They are mm. um, trying to create concessions into the commitment instead of uh, – um, to, and also to the brokerage community, it really depends on the development projects and where they are. Mm. I was thinking it's very interesting that developments, not that there are a ton of them, but certain developments that are actually taking their apartments either off the market and putting them on for rent or actually keeping them on the market for right. sale and also putting them on for rent. And I, I, and using different brokers. I've seen this quite a few times, actually. Like, yeah. I love this development, 388 Bridge in downtown Brooklyn, the, what was originally going to be the tallest building in Brooklyn, JDS will, you know, get over that. Um, but they, you know, I had a client, I remember like two months ago for one of the penthouses and cause they had, you know, six to eight left, I think. And then they took them off the market. Um, and it's also, they took it off the market and they were like, the developer's done trying to sell them. You can't even do it off market. We're going to rent them all and, well, you know, not sell them again for like two or three years. But that's a strict, I mean, listen, when you have a developer who's accomplished and is not bound to the bank, then they have an opportunity to yeah. do a 1031 tax exchange. Definitely. So why leave the money on the table in a moment in time that if they really believe for the long term? So I think that's a, str- a very smart decision. Agreed. And that's what my developer who has 8,000 apartments would do because we don't need the money. We want to do the right deal for all the previous people who bought from us as well as take the best deal when the time is right. It's interesting you, when That's you a use patient the term decision. Ba- correct. And when you use the term bound to the banks in the beginning of a development sellout, of course, before the construction loan is paid down or paid mm-hmm. off, there is really a very little flexibility because the developer has to get the price per square foot that they started the development out as to satisfy the banks. You know, and I saw this happen too. So once that's paid off, then there's a little more flexibility. Not that they always choose to go there, but there but is a little more flexibility. When there's a bank involved, you're dealing with them. I'm negotiating right now right. with the Carlisle Group. I'm not negotiating with the developer, really. I'm negotiating with the Carlisle Group yeah, because they want their profit at a certain return as well. Mm. So it it, it is, it is um, something that is 
where you have to be thoughtful and, you, you know, if you get the best deal that you're going to get and you still love the apartment, pull the trigger. So you're not getting the 100 bucks a foot off that you thought you might get. Right. It's interesting because um, in the last week, because uh, several of my buyers, have, I've, as I have been complaining uh, for the past couple of months due to the overall resetting of the marketplace, whatever, have kind of taken a pattern and said, you know, we'll wait and see, you know, what's happening, you know, in, in a couple of months, whatever. Just this week, two of my new development buyers are back and we're talking big numbers, uh, apartment sales, and they're, they're, you know, saying, hey, I think we should really start to re-engage again and start looking again and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm thinking, is there something happening right now in the new development arena that is, I mean, it, it's it's constant, you know, flow. it's constantly flowing. It's always out there. But why all of a sudden are, are people starting wow. to say, hey, I think it's time now to revisit, not resale per se, but in my case, but in, re- in new development? I, I think it's a level of confidence, number one. I mean, the closer we get to elections, yeah. the yeah. more confidence people believe yeah. that Trump will not be leading our country. Right. And I think that that is relieving the pause button. I mean, there's only so long New York City city people will keep the pause button on. They'll make the business decision. The yeah. smaller, the lower end of the market is still on fire. Yeah. And because they just, they won't hold that pause button too long. Yeah, it's interesting because we are getting, what are we, within 14 days, I think, of the election. So I think you're right, Louise. I think that the confidence level, you know, again, whatever side you're on, whoever you're voting for, I think people are beginning to understand or, or, or see who may the clear winner be. And it's kind of already, even prior to the actual election day, making them feel a little a little better. In my in the case that I just refer, uh, referenced a little while ago with the two buyers back to market, I, I can almost guarantee that that's the reason. Uh, and that's good. I mean, I've been saying for weeks now, once this election gets completely done and over and behind us, I think you're going to see a little more fuel to the fire in this business. And I will also just add that I, it is my humble opinion that an elongated sales cycle is a healthy is a healthy decision. I was making decisions for people like no, no news that is good didn't news. even come. I videotaped the spaces for them and they would make seven and 10 and $12 million decisions yeah. without actually a spouse seeing the the home. I also think that, you know, for the brokers, brokers who are listening today, you know, we have to speak the truth and we have to say, if you're selling a $25 million townhouse, you should expect six to eight months to sell it Absolutely. and be patient and have faith in the, in the, in the actual pricing model that you've made. But yeah. it's not as scientific as it used to be. I'm pricing one on the upper upper west side for eighteen and a half million. You know, he's deciding whether he wants to go to market or not. Anyway, we have to take a break. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Real estate transactions are full of surprises. I had a client with a beautiful home. We had seven offers in one week. Unfortunately, the first buyer pulled out and the deal fell apart. The client was inclined to relist in the fall, but I encouraged her to take the second offer. I explained that the risk of waiting did not outweigh the potential of getting a higher price. She reluctantly took my advice, but a month later she thanked me and told me how invaluable I had been throughout the entire stressful process. I'm Lori Benari with CORE, and this is what I do. The reason I love real estate is because it brings people together and it bonds them forever. Sometimes clients will call me just to chat. It happened the other day. She called and said, can you talk? 
We talked about life in her world. She told me I had a gift and that I was a gift, which made me blush, of course, but I understand what she is saying. I have the ability to pull magic out of a hat and get the deal done for my clients in the end. My clients are my family, and I really treasure family. I'm Vince Rocco with CORE, and this is what I do. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, Niall Lundgren from Compass, and Louise Phillips-Forbes from Halstead Property. Street Easy says uh, slowing growth in sales prices and longer days on the market are the key themes that characterize the Brooklyn and Manhattan real estate markets this past July. The sales markets in both boroughs are settling back into a 2012 state, which is much calmer in comparison to the frenzied pace of the past three years. Though prices are still climbing, sellers will need to continue to level expectations amid a less competitive market, while buyers have the opportunity to negotiate asking prices down even further amid slowing price growth and homes spending more time on the market. This is exactly what you were talking about before, Louise. So, you know, um, this is this is data back to July. We are now in October, almost in November. Are we still seeing the same, you know, kind of taking a back seat uh, with the sellers or at least understanding that they need to price a lot more sharper and, 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 you know, better to get a deal going in whatever price range we're talking about. Definitely. I, I also see just, you know, just like Louise was saying, I, there's a cycle, this cycle of selling has happened again, where, you know, you don't have that urgency that we've had in the last two to three years where, you know, you could put an apartment on the market and maybe have it gone, you know, in a few days, you know, it, it will take a month, two months, three months for a townhouse, like you were saying, six to eight months, you know, I'm, and, and just to play devil's advocate on what we were saying earlier, um, cause I like to do that. Um, I, I don't necessarily agree with people's confidence in the, in the election. Actually, I think that people are definitely more confident that the country will make the right decision. Um, but I also just, you know, from speaking with all of my American clients, even speaking to my client from Monaco last night, um, you know, which was strange because it was three in the morning there. Um, they're all still just waiting. You know, they're like, why, why rush and bite the bullet right this second? Um, you know, because the election's in two weeks, like I can wait, you know, and, and, and as much as I tell them exactly what I think, and I definitely push sometimes because I think a natural reaction to that would be, well, everyone else is also going to wait. And then you might come to the market when everyone else comes to the market to buy it. But at the same time, you know, I do think there is a feeling of waiting till the election is actually over with. But it really is about finding the right deal. When you you find the right deal, it really doesn't matter what else is going on in the world. We're talking generalizations. Secondly, 
it's not like the stock market where news will create some volatility. Real estate always lags 18 months to whatever is happening to that moment in time. So people, that's, and history doesn't lie. I mean, it's been the fact. It's cyclical. But um, the biggest impact I'm I'm experiencing is the resale market, the co-ops that don't allow wet over dry, that don't allow through the wall air conditioning, that, you know, are very, very strict, you know, strict about their board approval process and apartments that need work. And the reality is they cannot compare them to the development projects around the corner. Nope. And um, and I've done 30 conversions and uh, in you know along sort of places like the Upper West Side on West End Avenue, and you know the numbers of how it affects those co-ops is pretty impactful. Let's talk about the numbers though for a minute. Um, I agree with you, and I'm also having a, a wet over dry issue in a combination apartment that we're, we're trying to do for one of my potential sellers creating a three-bedroom, but they wanted to add a powder room and a couple of other things, and, you know, the co-op is not being so um, easy. Technology anyway, is out there. Technology is out there, and that's exactly what the contractor is proposing, so we're rewriting the the criteria to go to uh, the board. But anyway, um, so, let you know, getting to numbers, uh, you know, so even when we price up an apartment correctly, whether it's, you know, a condo or a co-op, we price them correctly, um, and we comp them to the last comp in the building and everything looks good on paper, but you know, the seller, the buyers rather are still running around town saying, I'm not paying full asking price for that. And, you know, I just had a conversation with somebody recently and I'm like, okay, I get that. Okay. And I get that if you feel, or if we can prove that the price is off, uh, based on the comps. But if I can show you that this is priced exactly perfectly right and, and there really should be no room for, uh, a decrease in the, in the offer, and then they're still like, nope, I'm not paying full offer, a full asking price. That, so, what's the mentality there? I mean, well, I think that goes back to comparing what Louise and I were just saying, the generalization of the market in a buyer's mind, and comparing how Louise said, which is completely correct, that every deal is different and yeah. every deal is specific to itself. And you know, at the end of the day, an apartment can be amazing in price perfectly, but a specific buyer might say. I'm looking at the market as a whole, and it's exactly. hurting. You know, I feel like I should be able to negotiate. Well, that's and it. that's where that we, no matter much and it, right. And if you have a client that listens yeah. to you, like we want them to, um, you know, you can educate them and just tell them that's not the way it works. But, but also at the same time, they they need to have they, their process. Right, exactly. They need 100%. to go through it and understand that you know maybe they don't get the first five that they really loved, and, and then they're on to the and sixth. Then they're and they not realize meant to it. have it exactly. Yep. So and everyone has exactly. their own unique experience. And exactly. I, I, exactly agree with what he's saying. You have to have a good agent to work with because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're looking at the general market, but there are very well-priced deals like hidden within 100%. there. And if you're going to go in there and be like, well, I'm going to offer 10% off when you know the place is getting But that's you know, why education ass. is exactly. so key because you know, to me, my, my job is to educate because their gut is going to speak yeah. to them. And if you've seen 63 apartments <laughs> and you've watched all those things and said, look, those three that you liked last week, they both have offers on them and they're below the ask. I'm going to try to find out what it's in contract for because that's Intel. Yeah. And that's where I'm value added for that particular um, 
purchaser. And, and it comes down to trust. It yeah. comes down to trusting your broker, yep. picking the right broker, as we always talk about in this business, but also having trust in whatever that person is saying to you is real and, and is correct. And the proof of the buyer cycle that we're talking about and the process of a buyer is that, you know, now we're talking about a market where people are bidding under and buyers, you know, we're educating buyers on just how, you know, maybe a specific listing will not go under and it will go for asking. Whereas, you know, maybe a year or two ago, we were talking about overbidding because the market was different, but it was still a process. The buyer, you know, we would have to tell them if you really wanted it, you would have to go a hundred thousand over, you know, because the market was that at the time. And then they would say, that's insane. That's crazy. And then they went through it 10 times and then they realized. So it's a process. It's always a process, no matter what the market is. And I don't see a lot of overbidding I have people that if there are five offers that they'll give the asking price, then then we, the brokers, have to say, you know what, we are now going to do best and final. And, you know, I find that interestingly enough, if I have five bids, three of them will stay where they are mm-hmm. and the two will do some odd gesture mm-hmm. and they'll get the deal. Yep. Whether it's, it's $17,000 difference it's for a $3 million dollar piece of property. It's kind of interesting. It's very interesting how that works out. Anyway, moving on. Real Housewives of New York star Bethany Frankel has officially sold her much-discussed Tribeca apartment. And according to one of her brokers, fellow Bravo reality personality broker star Fred Eklund, finding a buyer didn't take long. Eklund, who stars on Million Dollar Listing New York, posted the news to Instagram in the morning. And by the end of the day, the Wall Street Journal broke the news that it sold. The loft is at 195 Hutton Street, and it sold for its full asking price of $6.95 million, and I think she paid for something for it a couple of years back. You know, it, 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 not even to throw out names here between Bethany and Frederick, Ben, we know all of them, but but my question really is, and, and, and I'm not even questioning the validity of, of you know the transaction here, but does Instagram really help? And we've talked about this a couple of times on this program, and I am just still not convinced that because Fred puts something on Instagram in a day, it sells okay. at that price point. Who in that but price point is looking be, at Instagram? Let's be clear. You you know, you and I, and I I use my Instagram some for yeah. my business, but really it's for people to have an insight to the essence of who I am. That's right. And, you know, when you've been on national television, you have 800,000 followers. There may be some impact there. There clearly is. I mean, let's we're, we're going to talk a little bit about Kim Kardashian and Kanye, Kanye West taking advantage of, of Airbnb, giving them a penthouse. You know, they're, they're counting on that PR for the posting. Well, that PR is they are. very helpful. I don't I don't think, you know, in this particular instance that he put it on the market via Instagram and then it was like a done deal by the end. I, I okay. agree with that. You know, Frederick's got tons of contacts. He could be blasting that out before it even hits the market and he could have it lined up and, and teed up. But I think you're right, Luis. I mean, at the end of the day, Instagram is an unbelievable tool to showcase not only who you are, but what you're doing, lifestyle. And then, you know, you pepper it in with some with some actual real estate shots, a new listing here or something that you've closed, et cetera. But that is, I feel like, a very, very strong medium for marketing. I've done business from Instagram. It's not that a random person is being like, hey, but it's more of my ability to kind of keep my general um, you know, friend base in the loop. And then they're like, hey, oh, yeah, I forgot. You, you just listed that. Mm-hmm. Is that available? And then you get hit like a message on the, on the direct message, the, the DM. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's extremely powerful. I, I, I've seen it over and over and over again. And I think, you know, it's, it's a fantastic medium. And, you know, Fred obviously has a million followers or whatever it is and, and good for him. 
But for the normal agent that listening to this, it's still a great tool for you to showcase who you are and what you're Compare doing. and contrast that, though, to Facebook, because I, I would tend to be more of a Facebook um, believer because I have gotten business off of Facebook through the years. And just recently, somebody uh, on the other side of the world who we've been working with um, for a while decided they were going back to um, Taiwan. And then she saw one of my listings posted on Facebook and contacted me on WhatsApp <laughs> with all the social media yeah. plugs. And she said, hey, you know, um, I hope you didn't think, you know, I forgot about you, but we're going to re-engage again and blah, blah, this and that. And I'm like, okay, so maybe if she didn't see that post, she would not forget about me, right. but not be so, right. you know, but in- out there. Instagram makes it possible to Twitter. Connect to Facebook, right. Facebook. Correct. And I and, do that. And I think it has much visual, much better visual reception in my personal opinion. Instagram. And it's easier to Well, yeah, to it's work a total with. library. Yeah, exactly. I, also, I also think an interesting way to look at it is two ways. It can't hurt. I always like that saying. Correct. It can't hurt. You're you know, right. Putting it, if it sells it, great. If it doesn't, you know, fine. But it can't hurt to put it on Instagram and Facebook and all these social medias and, you know, just outlets. And at the same time, us brokers in New York City, a different way of looking at it, at least, is, you know, one of Niall's coworkers actually um, posted something on Instagram about a new listing that he had. And instead of me finding it on Street Easy or OLR well, or one of these outlets, for, yes. I actually, yeah. you know, because I'm with friendly that. with him, I, I just texted him and I was like, hey, I, I have a buyer for you. Like, I saw it on Instagram. Well, that, that's true. And and Niall posted something recently, too, right. that, and, and I wasn't looking in that particular price range or whatever it was, but I said, oh, look at that nice, beautiful new listing, and, yeah. and it's Niall, blah, blah, blah. So before I would even start a search and go into you know OLR or whatever we do to search, here it is because I'm friends with him or friends with you or friends with, with Louise, and you see these things come up maybe Not to mention first. you say that, but I think you even, com- I even commented, commented on, on Niall's one of my listing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, oh, great listing. And it's like, yeah, I'm bring a buyer. You know? Exactly. It's, you know about it. You're in the loop. And yeah, I'm not saying it, that it doesn't work. I think it does no, 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 in no. particular case, case by case, as we always say. Well, and I also just think it's it's interesting to bring out bring up a different perspective of the fact that in a, one of the things that makes our industry so great is in the top five to ten percent of brokers in our city, we're friendly with a lot of them, and we have really yeah. good rapport and relationships mm-hmm. with a lot of them. And so the people, the brokers that I follow on Instagram, for example, are ones that I like and the ones mm-hmm. that I, I truly appreciate. Exactly. And so if they're posting something that's interesting, even if I wasn't thinking about it for one of my clients, it will now be in front of Niall, my I eyes. think you just got to like exactly that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a love. Yeah, that was a love. <laughs> love right back. <laughs> on <man>. Facebook. <laughs> it, 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 it's it's instant awareness. Anyway, Instagram and Facebook and 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 all of these things link Snapchat. Snapchat, well I'm not even going there anyway. <laughs> We have to take a break. (laughs) You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are coming right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com I was recently out with a client who had just bought an apartment from me, and I asked... Why, after all these years, have you stayed so loyal? Why me? And he said, you've been honest with me from day one, and when you say you're going to do something, you do it. At that moment, it occurred to me how important integrity is in this business. It's not just closing the sale. It's about earning people's trust. I'm Adrian Noriega with CORE, and this is what I do. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. 
Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration, which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern, with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the Seventh Wave Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Matthew Cohen, uh, Lundgren, and Louise Phillips Forbes. And um, Louise mentioned this earlier, but unlike those who don't own New York City apartments and are forced to book $499 hotel rooms in the teeming confines of Times Square, God love them, every time our friends and family want to hang in Manhattan, TMZ has reported that Kanye West and Kim Kardashian get to roll into a $24.5 million penthouse triplex overlooking Tribeca and the Hudson River and for free and courtesy of Airbnb. Apparently, it's not enough for Kanye and his Snapchatting wife, Kim, to have a net worth in the tens of millions of dollars and therefore easily able to shell out the money for New York City rental, but they get the courtesy of a rent-free use of the luxury triplex penthouse at 471 Washington Street, uh, which is currently on the market, as I said, for $24.5 billion. Why would Airbnb do this? I mean, I this one really made me laugh Pers- out loud. Personally, I think it's a passive-aggressive act against Cuomo because in August they announced the legislation of, of banning the advertisement of Airbnb for homes that are in one – more than one to three families. Mm-hmm. So I that was announced in August. This was negotiated in August. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a, a, I mean, you can't buy that PR. You can't buy no. the whole, the fact that it was free and very, very smart. Let's also and, forget about Airbnb for a second. This apartment's on the market. Right. Yeah, Talk exactly. about eyeballs Great on PR. an apartment. Well, forget about the Airbnb aspect of it. This, that's brilliant. You and can you imagine the in? broker who yeah. has that listing and, yeah. and talk about Instagram or Facebook 100% or whatever? And millions Kim, upon millions of eyeballs. Kim was on 60 Minutes. Um, I, I don't know if you saw that, no, but no. she, uh, so, and she, they were talking about her on The View yesterday. Oh, with a robbery in Paris? Or yeah, whatever. exactly. Yeah. And uh-huh. how, you know, how social media affected her getting robbed. I don't even know. But <laughs> I, I have to say, <laughs> as much as people are very negative about her, I have to give her a lot of credit. Like, talk about someone She's who a is marketing a total genius. entrepreneur. She, you know, figured out a way to Absolutely. use social media <laughs> and create, be famous from almost nothing. I mean, it's you know, kind it's of, yes, amazing. well, it all goes back to that sex video. 
video. <laughs> that's where it started. True. Yeah, that's that where it started. The root, and and and, and 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 Mama yep. Kardashian there was a pretty sharp lady. I mean, yeah, she's, and you know, and you know what? Good on that broker, and good on that seller as well. well like they saw an opportunity, and they took it. Kim is the I, I have a feeling giant. it was brought to them by Kim yeah, yeah. because she looked at Sullivan. Oh, she looked at a lot of penthouses. Oh yeah, and they were proposing the package deal. Oh, anybody know how long That's they were amazing. staying in that place? Was it just for a couple of nights? Fashion Week. Oh, just for Fashion Week, of course. I, I mean, I only watched Netflix with them one night, so I wasn't sure how long they stayed there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, getting back to Airbnb. Airbnb said last Wednesday that it was willing to crack down on individuals in New York City who rent out multiple homes, bowing to pressure from politicians and tenants, rights groups who say the company has worsened affordable housing issues here in New York City. So, you know, they've got a whole heap of problems. Airbnb to begin with. Uh, in New York City, it's not as easy to pull off their business model as it is in, in any other part of the country or the world. Uh, so, you know, everybody is cracking down on them and Cuomo um, being one of them. It, he signed it, it's just it four days ago. He signed that, the legislation. Yeah. All right. There yeah, you go. Four days ago. It's fall again, and kids aren't the only ones heading back to homerooms. Savvy New York developers are transforming former schoolhouses into luxurious residences. School buildings that may have been a good fit at some point in the past may not serve the same purpose or meet modern-day standards today. And with skyrocketing land prices across New York City, the sprawling bones of old learning centers are incredibly enticing. It's easier to convert than it necessarily is to build ground up, again, because prices are crazy. Now, Matt and I recently showed in, in a new development in in Midtown West. I won't mention what it is. It's a schoolhouse converted. It's a wonderful building. Um, how many units again? Small. It's like 30. Yeah, something like that. And it's it's a, it's your company's um, development. It's stunning. But, you know, my question is, you know, let's first talk about boutique. Are these boutique buildings um, really desirable? Because when I think of new development or when my customers talk to me about new development, they talk to me about the grandeur of the large, you know, high rise, all the amenities that are within, as we talked about last week on last week's show. These boutique buildings, they may have a gym. They probably won't. They have 24-hour doorman, but it's still new development. But but well, from my experience, which I've done 30 of these, mm-hmm. I mean, 498 West End Avenue mm-hmm. is a 35-unit building. It has a gym. It has a playroom. It has a live-in mm-hmm. resident manager. And, you know, they're, they're basically – it's a 1910 envelope – with all new systems. Mm-hmm. And for the neighborhood buyer, I had 100% of every person bought in that building bought to live in their home. So it's kind of nice. Um, I, I love them. I think they're incredible. You know, incredible. 555 West End Avenue yeah. is coming on the market, which is an old school. That, I was going to ask you about that. That's the old boys high school yeah. or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know when that's about to come on the market, but they've been working in that building for a while. And that's it's going to be beautiful. I mean, the building it's itself be is beautiful. Lovely. It's going to be expensive. And that building, that period building, the sheer walls are about three feet deep. So when you buy... Wow. You're buying from the inside of the outside wall, yeah. so you're you're it's it's going to be interesting to see how that you're buying a lot of bricks. I also think it comes down to the specific buyer as well. If you're if we're going to look at it in that sense, because you know every buyer is different. Some buyers don't want to be in a huge building. I have a lot of clients who just would rather not be in a building with 200 apartments. Right. They like the closeness feeling of it. The doorman knows everyone. Uh-huh. He's not thinking about the name. And by the way, the doorman know the big in the big buildings Uh-oh. know all the buyers and the owners as well but but i think that there is something where 
buildings that are small enough to where you can be entrenched in the fabric of that, your your neighbors, to being anonymous. Well, it's more intimate. It's more intimate. And I also think that, um, you know, even though Dorman do do a great, you know, job, um, there's definitely a generalization for people and a, just a reputation for people who are not from here and know how great doormen are that for some reason when they're looking like I've had so many clients who just say oh, I really want my doorman to know me and I'm like he will <laughs> don't worry it's like who cares if my doorman knows right. me I'm, I've been in this town for way too many years and I'm over <laughs> doorman but I mean I get the point and we, you know what people like it uh, but uh, what was I gonna say oh in that particular you know schoolhouse uh, in in Midtown West you know it's it's a very homey kind of feeling and the the apartment mix is, I think, two what, two bedrooms, and I maybe two all no, they were all two bedrooms. I think. Well, the only concern I had was there weren't any three bedrooms, and my client really wants a three bed. But let me ask you, Louise, in, in that uh, high school, uh, the boys' high school up on uh, the Upper West Side, do they know yet, or have we seen yet, what the apartment mix is going to be about? Uh, size. They're going to be pretty. They, I mean, they looked at four ninety eight to help assess the uh, the Correct. developer and the architect to try to figure out what was selling best. They had they were pigeon held by their windows because it's landmarked. Right. So the scale of their rooms are going to be big, but right. can they get price per square foot for what their views aren't? Aren't, or the light isn't, correct. You know, in the building that I'm always talking about that I sell in, in Midtown West on 47th Street, um, you know, it's it's two seven-story buildings and there are 50-plus units on each side. And that, to me, is very boutique. So whenever I'm in that building, the elevators are never, you know, busy. People are not, you know, crawling all over the lobby. So Which I, building is this? 505 West 47, yeah, yeah. the one I sold when I was at Halstead. And, you know, it's it's just very comfortable to be there all the time. It's a, you know, it's two big buildings. So there are 108 families there, but, you know, spread across a courtyard and the boutique feel there is really interesting. And, um, you know, I just like that. So, you know, I'm not a big, tall skyscraper kind of person anyway. So, and amenities don't really do it for me. So the boutique aspect of these developments, I think, are really um Really interesting. What's also really nice about the conversion aspect, when two or three months ago we were talking on the show about how what developers need to do to satisfy buyers, mm-hmm. and we we kept on talking about, if you remember, the high ceilings and Absolutely. the loftiness. And what's great about, for example, that conversion in Midtown West is that they're giving you 13-foot ceilings on every floor. It's yeah. not just the second floor or just the top floor. Yep. They're giving you it on every floor. Every buyer has right. the same opportunity to get those great mm-hmm. ceilings, get those great, you know, they even have exposed brick in some of the apartments. Yes. You know, it's character. It's not cookie cutter. That's amazing. Those 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 characteristics are, are really such gifts in those projects. Yeah, and it's a breath of fresh air. When you're looking at cookie cutter, cookie cutter, skyscraper, mm-hmm. skyscraper, then you walk into a homey apartment that has 13 foot ceilings and exposed brick. It's like, oh, I could, I could do this. So right. that, that that is needed in the marketplace. It's exciting. Let's talk for a minute. I was going to get to that a little later, but now that we've mentioned it a couple of times, New York City is fascinating for many reasons, but in no small part because of the seamless integration between what was, what is, and what's going to be. And that's why some of these conversions are really incredible, the older buildings to new. For all the new kind of developments in the modern architecture, redefining uh, bands of its world-famous neighborhoods, New York City is, is, is a city layered in time, and that's what we all love about it. So I ask, what is it about exposed brick in apartments, whether you know there are multiple walls or just one wall, but exposed brick tends to get people excited. I know when I walk into an apartment where there is exposed brick, I immediately say, okay, this is for me. 
And then I then I go from there and start looking at everything else. In the it's apartment. what Niall said. It's you know it's aesthetically homey. It, you yeah. feel very homey when you walk in. There's something about exposed brick that I think brings into people's minds the idea of a fireplace, even mm. and growing up around it's just a, piece, a house. It's a piece of history, exactly. At 15 Hubert, which is another one of my development projects, right building, which was built in you know 120 years ago, mm-hmm. and it was four small industrial buildings that the fourth wall was the contiguous wall of the other building. So it was like surgery to deal with this. And we have exposed brick, not as in many sections as we originally wanted because it wasn't in good enough condition, but it really does feel like you're buying a piece of history. Yeah. And yeah. you see a lot of times people are wa- growing up watching TV, whether it's Friends or something like that. They have this nostalgic feel. They walk in and they're like, so Absolutely. especially if they're from out of town, they're like, hey, you know, can we see, like, you know, talk about your, your hot list of what makes you excited. They're always like exposed brick. It's like, all right, we'll talk about that. But it's it's always interesting to see that that, that is out there. There is a nostalgia and there is a need for for that charm. And it exists. People are actually installing them in some development projects when they have the ceiling heights to give that essence. But, you know, the people who purchased these apartments, really, it was curated with a lot of art collectors. And exposed brick brick is not great for people who rotate a lot of artwork because you're... You're yeah, really shrilling. <clears throat> yeah. Your shrilling. You're killing it. So what's on Vince's, you know, wish list? You know, if I could have everything I want, high ceilings, pre-war, exposed brick, and a big old fireplace. And then, you know, bottle of wine, some cheese. <laughs> and who, your dog, who needs to Jeff leave? And Jeff. Well, Jet, of course. But of I mean course. and who needs to leave, right? I mean, that's that's, <laughs> that's especially in the wintertime. It's coming up. Especially in the wintertime. So we're gonna go to break for our last segment coming back. This is Good Morning New York. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com A client gave me the best compliment. He said, I'm the MacGyver of real estate. True, I'm resourceful and reliable. It was during a short sale that involved two banks and a foreclosure. And it was during the financial crisis. I pulled every trick out of my hat and we closed the deal. He said, if I was ever stranded on a highway at two in the morning, you'd be the first person I'd call. (laughs) I am known for answering the phone at all hours of the night. But what he didn't know was that I've even helped a client change a tire. I'm Elizabeth Key with CORE and this is what I do. In my opinion, the referral business is the biggest compliment that a real estate broker can have. I had clients that I actually didn't even help them find their home, but they referred their sister to me. And they commented on my professionalism, my knowledge and understanding of the market, and that something I did stuck with them. They've become friends over the past 15 years and have referred more than 12 deals to me with friends and family. The fact that they think of me first and trust me with their family is really, really cool. I'm Steve Snyder with CORE, and this is what I do. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. 
maybe you are. All right, everybody, we are back. So get ready to go grocery shopping at the Amazon store near you. The e-commerce giant is expanding its grocery business with brick-and-mortar grocery stores and drive-in pickup locations designed to complement its same-day grocery delivery services. Sources have told the Wall Street Journal this. The stores and curbside pickup locations will offer current subscribers of Amazon same-day delivery fresh service, more ways to get their goods, particularly those who prefer to choose their own groceries. Effective? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, Fresh Direct, my my uh, husband was a YPO guy and an entrepreneur, and we had uh, a lot of interaction, or he had a lot of inter- interaction with Jason and Joe, who founded Fresh Direct. Um I mean, I think it's the small town version and, you know, it's a $600 billion business. So there's plenty of room and Amazon is so cued, you know, set up to roll out nationally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in so many different aspects, not just in the grocery food business. I I I love their movie series. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. And and also the... A lot of my cousins are starting college, and um, instead of doing the old school, your mom sends you a you know um, a care package. Yeah, they're now sending Amazon packages to my uh, cousins at colleges. That's so very there cute. you go. Well, that's... the reason I ask is because obviously here in New York City, you know, a business model like anything goes in New York City for the most part. But in the burbs, do you think it's going to work in the burbs? Absolutely. Yeah. Listen, I mean, you know, I look at. Um, I, I was thinking about how when we travel, we do. Airbnb mm-hmm. in Hawaii, and for me not to go to a grocery store in Hawaii, if I, I could have my luggage come in with me and five boxes of groceries there, I would be in hog heaven. You know, yeah, I agree. I, I'm still <laughs> going to have to disagree with that. I Listen, think if you're, I, I'm I, a mom, okay? <laughs> I'm a mom. I, I, get it, I get it. I think if you're living in a suburb full time, um, I think the majority of people actually it, it don't enjoy grocery shopping, but it's such a... It's just part of their life. It's part it's of their ca- schedule. It's, it's part of me. their. I absolutely love going to the grocery store. I think and we shopping. do because I do. we do. <laughs> like I love when I'm traveling, especially when I'm driving somewhere. I love stopping at a Target and like spending two hours there because I'm not used to it. Um, <laughs> well, that's true. But but you don't get out much, buddy. But no, I do, and I miss my food emporium. It closed earlier this year on up on Broadway, and it's like I don't have a grocery store to go to anymore. It's it's horrible. I think it's I think it's extremely powerful of a business just like Louise was saying but I do think it will be harder to make the adjustment for especially families in the suburbs just because I think they're used to not only grocery shopping but going to places like Costco and BJ's and Walmart and mm-hmm. Target. I think it's going to be tough for the small guy the small grocer guys. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah absolutely. You know I think it's for definitely sure. going to affect them but for it's sure. a big big business. All right, moving on. Where are home prices rising or falling the most in New York City? And I was a little taken aback by this story. That's why I wanted to discuss it today. The New York Times looked at median sale prices in each of the city's neighborhoods during the month of August and compared them compared them to those six months prior. The results are in the five neighborhoods with the biggest percentage increase in median sales prices and the five with the biggest decline. All right, here on the increase side, number one is the Rockaways. Up 38%. Two, Murray Hill, 29%. Brooklyn Heights, 27%. Forest Hills, 22%. And Manhattan Valley, 19%. On the decrease side, Bay Ridge down 10%. Wakefield uh, down 10%. Midtown East down 11%. Harlem, this shocked me, down 17%. Mm-hmm. And Howard Beach down 18%. Let's put some English on this, guys, because a lot of these statistics really floored me. First of all, it's not really fair to make an assessment in August 
because right. the world is paused. Correct. And um, this town is paused for sure. And, you know, I think that Murray Hill really su- surprised me. But if yeah. I really started to think about Murray Hill, um, I think some of these pluses are going to be as a result of development. Forest Hill is on fire with development. What about the Rockaways? I mean, what's what's creating that drive up? There's a whole surf world that's, that happens, and I mean, I have some schools in my nonprofit in in the far in Far Rockaway, but it's a it's a pretty groovy community. And since Hurricane Sandy exactly. came, there've been a there's been a big push of investments there yep. from hotels to condominiums. Let's let's talk about Brooklyn Heights. So it's up 27%, number three in the survey. Now, Brooklyn Heights does not have a lot of new development. It has some, uh, but it, it's kind of like the West Village tech, where there's a lot of old uh, old buildings there. So there's the nothing new world, there. The tech world is just – and the food scene is hot there, and those two things have been driving. Plus inventory. Also, I love Brooklyn Heights, by the way. Also, love. if you've done transactions there recently, um, the co-ops in Brooklyn Heights, surprisingly, are actually more lenient than the minute. And there are and a lot of course, more I'm speaking specifically to a few buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't want to overgeneralize here, but I, I take that factor of Brooklyn Heights, you know, helping it be so high on the increase list, but also on the Midtown East list, because I'm assuming that Midtown East, they're involving Sutton. And I have it includes had, Sutton Place and Beekman Place, correct? Well, so I have had a bunch of clients who have actually wanted apartments in Beekman and Sutton, already knowing that they required fifty percent down, and um, yeah. you know specific buildings, of course, not yeah. generalizing the whole neighborhood. Um, and then you know we saw more things. And they were like, at the end of the day, I mean. I'd rather put less than 50% down. And they they would think about the resale of it also and mm-hmm. think about the difficulty of reselling well, at the 50% it, mark. Right. So I think um, I think they factor into both of those neighborhoods. But let me ask you, because you you do a lot of work up in that neighborhood. Manhattan Valley is up 19%, but yet Harlem is down 10%. I, I don't necessarily understand that. I mean... Well, so I live in Manhattan Valley, actually. Um, <clears throat> and... A, I mean, I think both great are great transformation. I think both are great neighborhoods, and and mm. Harlem has been going through a transformation over the last ten years. Um, you know, and I think Manhattan Valley has actually been going through it a little less, and in the sense that um, it's booming right now with transitioning um, outside of the whole area in the 90s where they, you know, built all those huge rental buildings and, you know, major yeah, commercial tenants. and Starbucks exactly. and Whole Foods. And I think that there's also, it, it's interesting, I think there's also a community out there of buyers who love the idea of Whole Foods coming into Harlem. And just like the Second Avenue subway, it's taken a lot longer to put in place than people expected, actually. We were having a huge discussion about this. Um, So I I think it's a whole mix of things. Um, I think people get antsy, and I think they want to make a decision. And when push comes to shove, if something's not in yet, they sometimes shy away. You know what's interesting to me? The East Village and the Lower East Side didn't make either increase or decrease statistic. And I would think that with all the buzz and all the new developments on the Lower East Side and the East Village, that you'd see some significant double-digit growth there, and I did it, But it popped. Nothing. It, that popped in you know two thousand from two thousand to two thousand and six. It entered the map. It, that, it yeah, really, yeah. really came because I had a bunch of development projects along Second Street and mm-hmm. East Tenth and First, and then you know along the Bowery, all that's occurred. That all started in the late nineties. And while I think it's an amazing neighborhood, and I agree with Elise 100%, um, you know, I think 
especially the Lower East Side, there are uh, some developments and some people in the Lower East Side are overshooting their numbers. Um, you know, I think that they are preparing mm-hmm. for things like Essex Crossing, and, mm-hmm. and, and I think they're overshooting some of them. And I think that that probably, um, you know, takes it off of that Explain increase Explain what you mean by the es- Essex Crossings and... Well, so Essex Crossing is going to be a huge development, almost like Hudson Yards in the Lower East Side. It's like a mini version of Hudson Yards in the Lower East Side that they've been working on for years and years and tons and tons of money. You know, I mean, hundreds of millions, if not over a billion. Who's the developer on that again? Oh, I actually don't even know. It's a bunch put together. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a bunch of equity groups. Yeah. And so it's a bunch of different developers doing different buildings and a bunch of equity groups. And I know that, you know, just a lot of developments down in that area are you know, just putting their price per square foot numbers in, ex- you know, expecting Essex Crossing to bring a huge following because a lot more people know about this than I than I even thought about. Um, I thought Hudson Yards was just a huge thing in everyone's mind. And I found recently that more people know about Essex Crossing than Hudson Yards. Well, that's the difference so between, you know, the downtown folk and the midtown right. folk and all. But, exactly. let me ask, but let me ask you something. So in all of these statistics, so Hudson Yards, we've talked about that numerous times and we were going to chat about it today, but we're going to run out of time. So how has that not affected its neighboring places like Chelsea or the West Village or even Hell's Kitchen? It, Again, it, they it didn't has. make this well, but they didn't make the statistics with uptick mm. in growth mm. or down, you know, turn in in in, in growth. So yes, it has remember, affected everything. Hudson Yards is actually just coming to market. So it's not recorded yet by and, any and if and if we want to discuss the market softening and slowing with developers, it's pretty incredible that as of this morning, um, Hutchin Yards is sold out of their one bedrooms in their first building. No. So they had that's, truckloads that's, oh, of, I, of, of people from before it even released. But yes. that's pretty incredible. I mean, well, it's Shane, amazing. Shane, my partner, just took one of our clients over there, and they had uh, just a couple of days before we were supposed to see a few units, they had pulled them off the market to reprice them, yeah. we think. Raise the price. To yeah. raise the price. So, you well, know, they had to go to the not, attorney general to raise the price. to begin with. They're not. I mean, they're, they're so <laughs> not cheap. 2.1 2. to yeah. 4 yeah. with that first release. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, you know, the, the, the comment was, well, um, the developer wants to take it off the market for a little bit. And, of course, I know being in development, as Louise does and whatever, you, you know, it's coming off the market. Developers going to um, attorney general. They're going to reprice it up. Probably they're selling very quickly, and yeah. I have to tell you something. You know, the sales office is amazing. The finishes are gorgeous. It's going to be a beautiful project. At least that one that for that first building that's that's on the market for sale. So who knows where we go with that? But it, it was just interesting. I thought you know Chelsea and and even other areas of the 30s and then up to the 40s in, in mm-hmm. Hell's Kitchen. I thought there'd be a little bit of a noticeable change in the statistics. Even with just the buzz of Hudson Yards, I know it's not really out there yet, but even with the buzz, but it isn't. Anyway, we are done for today. That's our show. Thank you for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com or vincerocco.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.